dropping that knowledge on you. I could not make this shit up. With Kev Nash. Oh, Hercules, Hercules. And DJ Killer Kev. Uh-oh. Let me tell you, boys, you can't make that shit up. The inside. Real deal, straight up. Are you crazy? Hottest <laughs> stories from the world of hip-hop. This is ludicrous. It's the big boss, Rick Rose. What up? It's your boy, Young Jeezy. This is 50 Cent. Sports. Some of those dogs were the most incredible dogs I've ever seen. And what's popping in the DYT. I couldn't make this shit up. I couldn't make this shit up if I tried. I'm sad that I lack the talent to make this shit up. Here's Kev Nash and DJ Killer Kev. We back at it. Kev Nash. DJ Killer Kev. You can't make this up podcast. Number 75. 75 of these things, man. Yes, sir. I'm proud of us, man. Hey, I am too. <laughs> I really am. Like, I was talking to, oh, you know, shout to my big brother, OPZ. Um, I was talking to him. We spent the day together up in Columbus, just hanging out, playing some golf and How'd you had play? lunch. We played pretty well. It was me, him, his dad, and uh, a uh, his dad's friend from church. Okay. And um, we was out there. We played. We played nine holes. Nice course. It's called Black Lick, um, up in Reynoldsburg, I believe. Okay. And um, we played nine holes. Then me and O went over to East Town and uh, had some lunch, had some sushi, some beers, some Patron. Hey. Some, watching Florida State. Uh, hey, we pulled it off. <laughs> pulled it off. Surprisingly enough. Yeah, we just had a good day of. Uh, I was telling them like, man, I got three daughters at home and a wife. I need some man time. I told the <laughs> wife I'm having some man time today. I'll be home before the podcast on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Straight homies. Yeah. Hanging with the homies. You got to love that, man. Yes, well, sir. Well, my weekend was uh, basically not anything like yours. <laughs> I slumbered around the house all day. It was like one of my first Saturdays in a long time. Probably my first Saturday all football season where I didn't have to work earlier in the day outside of just like a little small stuff. But, you know, I, I grabbed a blanket. I kicked back on that couch, <laughs> watching football all the way up until I did the club that night. Why she yeah. went and had lunch with her girls, went up to hit up the mall solo. So I was just chilling, like, and enjoying myself. Took, like, two naps. <laughs> <Right>. So, you <laughs> know what I'm saying? I was, like, super. People talk about a lazy Sunday. I had a lazy Saturday until yeah, I got the club. That, that's my plans today. I'm I'm strictly going to watch Red Zone Channel for seven hours, I think, <laughs> and do nothing else and just chill out. I mean, I was talking about that, though, like, with – with life and how how busy you know your world can be. Yeah, me and O was like we've only seen like one O State game just due to DJ schedules and times they play, and you might be doing a wedding or something. Yeah, and he had only seen one, maybe maybe two, but I think he said this might be like his first game that he get to sit on the couch and just watch. You know, yeah. so we uh, we I stayed there until about the second quarter. I figured. 14-0, I was like, Ruckers. Yeah, yeah. Should be good. It ended up being like 57, <laughs> goose egg. Old's couch about to have me sleep <laughs> after a full day like that. I ain't had one of them full days in a while where you're running around and just enjoying the day. I'm always, you know, doing something family-oriented, it seems, or DJ-oriented. So it was nice just to kick back. Felt like a nice, you know, spring fall day and yeah. you know just walked around the mall and, and just enjoyed each other just to kick it man we ain't did that in well over a year probably it's been a minute that's crazy because you talk about you know obviously both of you guys are djs both of y'all had a saturday off exactly. from not djing any small event big event yeah. uh, a homecoming a wedding exactly. uh, just a practice session just both y'all not having anything to do is surprising yeah a, a few weeks ago we had kind of started the ball rolling on, on this day just because it was like what's your schedule look like well i'm this week i'm booked this week i'm booked last week of september i'm good 
My me too. Oh, that's your birthday weekend, pretty much. You know, so hey. I'm coming through. So and we we got some slander from uh, DJ OP. Oh, yeah. He talked about that too. <laughs> he talked about that too. We had a lot of pod talk yesterday. He's one of our avid listeners, man. Hey. We, we appreciate you, big brother. Absolutely. Don't forget to rate the boys on iTunes. You know what I'm saying? Five stars helps. Yeah, five stars. Five <laughs> you stars. know what I mean. But uh, honestly, man, uh, I was hollering at my boy JG. Uh, I don't know if you ever met my homie JG. Uh, I'm not sure, I don't think so. Uh, well, I'll give the he wait for him to give us a call. I'm gonna give you the quick uh, synopsis, and he probably can go into more uh, detail. I met him via one of our best friends, uh, Craig, who is from Columbus. Okay, and uh, you know, I met him through him on a you know just a, a walk by. So I always thought that he went to Wright State. Mm-hmm. I didn't know until probably I don't know maybe six, seven months of knowing him that he didn't go to Wright State because he was at Wright State so much. Sounds like me at Miami of Ohio when my boys was there. I was literally spending that whole year, like, weekends, and people would see me in the clubs. Why ain't you? Uh, I'll never see you during the week. Like, girl, I'll be in my studies, babe, you know. I don't have time for this. So. <laughs> Sound like a good guy already. All right, we got the homie on the line right now. My brother, J.G., John Gibson, number 27. What's good, partner? Man, life is good, man. Yeah, man. So uh, I was giving my homie Killer Kev like the 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 rundown of how we kind of met through Craig and everything. But uh, for everybody listening, man, give them like a quick, uh, you know what I'm saying, a recap about who you are and like what you do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like from, from the beginning. You know what I'm saying? From, from, the, from beginning. the beginning. From the beginning. From the beginning. Well, you know, I was born on a dirt road. And, uh, <laughs> nah, um, you know what I'm saying? I, um, you know, I'm from Akron. I was born in Akron, but I call Columbus home. Um, I grew up there, went to high school there. Um, you know, got a football scholarship to Bowling Green. You know, that's where I met, you know, HBK. Um, okay, so know. let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Okay, so you're born in Akron. You moved to Columbus. What high school did you go to in Columbus? Columbus Beechcroft. Okay, so you playing football at Beechcroft. How in the world do you earn a scholarship to Bowling Green University? Um, well, I think, you know, I guess one of the first things you can say is, you know, I was a big fast dude. You know what I mean? I was a two hundred I was a two hundred pound eighth grader that went to the semifinals in the two hundred meter dash. Um you know, but then I also, but I come from a track family. Like, Butch Reynolds is my mother's brother. He was the world record holder in the 400-meter dash. Actually still is one of the people who holds the world record in the 4x4 relay. Yes, sir. Um, so I used to train with him. And, um, you know, here I am, this, this this chubby kid out here training with a with a, with a world champion track runner. Um, and so, you know, basically put that work in, man. And, um, you know, it got me a scholarship to Bowling Green and, you know, a couple of other scholarship offers, but, you know what I'm saying, I wound up going to Bowling Green and, you know, was a, wound up being a four-year letterman at BG. How'd you decide on BG? Man, I, funny, um, I broke my leg my sophomore year in high school. And um, I was at, and, you know, once I got healthy, my uncle was like, hey, you can come work out with me. And um, I, I was working out down at the French Field House in Ohio State with my uncle, because he went to Ohio State, so... We would go out to go to the indoor track at Ohio State, and you know I'm out there running, you know, track workouts with you know the track team. And uh, there was a couple of guys that were training to go to the NFL, 
a couple of Buckeyes, a guy named Jason Winrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Winrow, there was this guy named Eddie George that would pop up every once in a while. This dude, like a this dude named show. Eddie never, George. Never heard of him. <laughs> never heard of him. This guy named Eddie George. Um, you know, um, but there was also a cat named Marlon Kerner and a, and a guy named Tim Walton that was all out there. They were all out there training. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, you, you meet these cats and you talk to them and they get to, you know, they, they're out there. They're concentrating on being NFL players and I'm, you know, concentrating on being a high school player. And then, you know, a couple of years later, this cat with this Southern accent, you know, is calling me and talking about he wants me to come to Bowling Green. And, you know, I'm aware of Bowling Green because two of the guys that, that went to my high school my freshman year graduated when I was a freshman. They were at Bowling Green. And, um, you know, as I get to talking to him, we get to talking and come to find out he's it's Tim Walton. Mm-hmm. And uh, once he finds out Butch is my uncle, he says, uh, you know, I know Butch. And then we, as and I keep listening to his voice, and I'm like, yo, you used to work out at the French Fieldhouse. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I know who you are now. I remember <laughs> you. And, you know, we were just comfortable like that. He would have been, he was my position coach for my first two years at BG. And, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, he was also one of those cats that was like, told my, you know, my mom was like, you know, I'm comfortable with him. Right. So once you say you're comfortable with moms, it's like, you know, you win at that point. So, you know, Bowling Green was close enough to home to where I was by myself, but it was far enough away to where I wasn't running home for dinner. So it was cool. Yeah, I want to get to the good stuff. This is Killer Kev, brother. Nice to meet you. Um, I want to know why you was at Rice State so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that was the, the the part of the reason I chose Bowling Green was because it was kind of off, ducked off on its own. Yeah. Um, you know, because you know, I, I'm you know, I was a party dude, and I used to like to kick it, <laughs> and so you know what I'm saying, and like so Bowling Green, hilariously. My first semester at BG, there was this club called Bojangles, and it used to crack. I'm talking about <laughs> all of all of Northwest Ohio. It didn't matter Fostoria, Toledo. They all came to Bojangles to party, and then Bojangles closed. Tragic. And um, Bojangles closed, and it was tragic for Black life in you know in Northwest Ohio. Like it was like, oh my goodness. And so you know, basically, we started having like failed house parties and. You know what I'm saying? Kickbacks and et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, but, I mean, live, you know, Craig Lavender is my dude. He goes to Rice State. So he's like, yo, you should come down. And so I would come down just to party. <laughs> I would come down just to party. Y'all had all the black lights down there. Like, you know, y'all had the whole Divine Nine, all that. So I'm like, I would go to, I would come down to Rice State, get my, you know, get my party in. And then go back to Bowling Green and be just like a regular Joe Schmo student. <laughs> That's why I said the good stuff because uh, I was in the military myself. But after I got out of the military, all, all my friends were seniors at Miami of Ohio, and I literally would spend <laughs> majority. I would say eighty five percent of his senior year, I was there every weekend just just for the parties. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely like, know, you know, know know what you was going through. Good times. Yeah, if I would went to if I would went to Rice State, I might not have made it through. It like, <laughs> like, I never would have made it. You know. Yeah, I was telling Killer about the uh, the time we met, and I didn't know that you didn't go to Rice State because <laughs> I would see you like on a Thursday. So with Craig, so all them like, oh, he must stay in Pine Hall. I must not see him all like that. I'm doing my own thing. I really only hang out with Craig and Reg on the weekends. You know what I'm saying? Because we ain't get as super tight as we did until later. So I was like, oh, man, he go here. It wasn't until 
you were down. It was like probably I wouldn't even say. I guess it was probably uh, my sophomore sophomore years in college where you were down like on a spring spring break, and you was down here, and you was like, "Man, I got to bounce." And I was like, "What you talking about?" It's like, "Yeah, man, I got practice in the morning." Come to find out. You had you were down here for your spring break and you had to get back on that Monday for practice. I was like, yo, what? He's like, oh yeah, I'll go to BG. I was like, huh? It's like, yeah, I play football for BG. I was like, bowling green? Like three hours north of here? It's like, yeah. I was yeah. like, this guy's wild, son. This dude's a true road warrior. Yeah. Yeah, man. I tell you what, if I thought I know that was the foreshadowing that that was, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, nah, you know, Rice State, Rice State was good to me, man. Like, there was a few people that was like that, man. Rest in peace, Randy O. Yes, sir. I remember Randy O used to say that to me. He said that to me one time. He's like, man, you know, I used to see you. I used to wonder why I never saw you on the yard, never saw you in the classroom, but I always saw you at the parties. And I'm like, because I didn't go to Bowling. I, I didn't go to Rice State, bro. I went to Bowling Green. <laughs> like, you know, but it, it got to a point where, you know, I mean, honestly, I get invited to the Rice State, Rice State alumni parties like I, like I really got a degree from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Black Tie, we looking for you, brother. <laughs> hey, man, I wanted to ask you, man, like your first, I guess it would be first. So you redshirted your freshman year, right? Yeah. So I guess it would be like your first three to four years at BG. What was that experience like, like on the football field? Um, it, it was tough, man. You know, we didn't we didn't do a whole lot of winning. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I came from a program that won, so you know that part of it was tough. Um, you know, you putting in all of that work all season, all year long, and then you get to the twelve weeks that matters the most, and you can't come up with the Ws. You know, it was painful. Um, you know, there was a lot of there was just a lot of turnover, a lot of flip, and that is it, it, it's common in the MAC, but I think it was even more so. Um, you know, Bowling Green and where Bowling Green was, we had a well-established coach, but he had had a lot of his, a lot of his, um, a lot of his assistant coaches had been plucked, mm. you know, so he had been retooling his staff over and over and over again. And I think that's why you see now, he's kind of like the poster child for why coaches get into the Mac and get out as soon as possible, because you can't keep your assistants, you can't pay them enough. Right, mm. right. You know, because there's always going to be a, a conference USA school or a Big Ten school that's going to take that kid and that's going to take that coach and is willing to pay more. So we didn't do a whole lot of winning, man. And actually, it bottomed out my junior year. We won two. We was like two and nine. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was tough. I mean, you know, there were high points. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I led the team in rushing my junior year. But, you know, who cares about leading a team in rushing on a two and nine team? You, you know, know who did? Show. You know who did? I did. <laughs> and I know you I know you remember me blowing you up email because you know what I'm saying that was before the texting oh my god that's how old we are but I would hit you right. up with emails like yo bro I see you hit, hit for 80 your reply yeah but we lost I was like yeah bro I see you hit for that 90 in the TD <laughs> yeah but we lost hey bro I see you with that 110 yeah but we lost I, you know what I was seeing I was seeing them NFL checks coming our way not your way our way it was for the team Did you talk about team that was team us bro <laughs> I was like, I don't care. Look, I see, I see. You got about nine hundred yards rushing. You know what I'm saying? Ten touchdowns. I'm like, yo, I'm seeing about at least a fifth, sixth round pick, and I'm seeing special team duties. I'm seeing trips to wherever city you playing in. I'm like, look, man, we good over here. I don't know what you talking about. <laughs> but talk about yeah, when man. that uh, that certain coach came in and basically rescued the program. But 
at the same time of rescuing the program, it kind of ended my dreams of uh, being a, a, a hanger-on in the NFL. <laughs> man, you know, i tell you what, man. You know, so junior year, three, four weeks into the season, um, we lose to Kent State, and the head coach resigned. You know, Gary Blackman resigned, and, you know, it sent shockwaves through the MAC. Because, um, you know, a lot of people were saying that he was going to, they were going to fire John Cooper and bring him back to bring him to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he resigns and, you know, we, we, they start to court, they start to court the coach, coaching search early. And, um, you know, I, it's so funny because as the years have gone on, I've heard so much more about this story because I'm still involved with the Bowling Green football program. But, um, that year, there was a coach on the staff who, who named, uh, oh, man, why did his name just fall out of my mind? Goodness. There was a coach on the staff, an older gentleman, who had to retire during the season because his health wouldn't hold up. What I didn't know was he was the coach that gave Urban Meyer his first job at Ohio State. Okay. Mm. And so what winds up happening is as they go through the coaching search, the administration keeps hearing this Urban Meyer name, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer. He's just a wide receivers coach at Notre Dame. And so apparently they were doing all of their interviews at Indianapolis because the front runner for the job was a brother named uh, Jay Davis for the Indianapolis, was a wide receivers coach for the Indianapolis Colts. And, um, Urban was kind of like the last interview that they took. And from what I was told, they were going to eat dinner, then do the interview because they hadn't eaten all day. And Urban walks in, and they're like, hey, man, we're going to grab some dinner. You want to grab some dinner? And Urban's like, no, I want an interview. <laughs> and so, which is a totally Urban Meyer thing to do. Right, because, um, you know, if, you're, so, if you go in and do an interview, somebody say you want to do this, you're just trying to make a good impression. Sure, hey, let's do this and try to make a good first impression, huh? Yeah, and well, the thing was is that they were really trying to because they like we've been interviewing candidates now for six hours at this hotel conference room. We're hungry, right? And you know, Urban's like, "Nah, you told me to be here at this time. Let's get this interview cracking." <laughs> and they were like, "All right, so we are gonna go through this interview." And you know, he winds up getting a job, and you know, since December fourth, two thousand, um, he walks into our team meeting room, and you know, he walks in, and dude has such a presence. I'm like, man everything's about to change. Like, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's like a Drake moment. It's like nothing was the same. And so, you know, it goes into one of those situations where, you know, it goes into one of those situations where basically, you know, everything did change. Um, Everything became infinitely harder. Um, The training became harder. Cats wound up with, you know, broken fingers and uh, bloody noses and scraps and scrapes and scratches and, hurt feelings and, you know, people were getting kicked off the team. And, you know, it was like, wow, he's telling us the whole time, you guys weren't Division One football players. You, that's why you weren't winning. I'm making you Division One football players. And, you know, everything became about, you know, the inches that it takes to win and lose football games. And, you know, it was, it was tough. It was tough on me because, you know, what I found out after that season, you know, maybe about a month after he showed up, um, I found out, Crazy story. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Kev. <laughs> but I used to, so they bring in a whole new coaching staff. And I'm over my homegirl's crib, you know what I'm saying, that I, you know what I'm saying, that I'd be flirting with, you know what I'm saying, in Columbus. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm over her house. Doing playing, what JG does. Joking, <laughs> doing what I do. You know what I'm saying, I'm chilling. 
life is good. And, um, you know, I'm 22 years old. I'm in great shape, you know. And um, I'm joking around with her. We start wrestling. And I hear a pop in my left shoulder. Mm. And then from that point forward, I can't lift my left shoulder above chest height. And um, that's not good. The woman that I was the woman that I was joking around with, ironically, her older brother gets hired as my position coach. <laughs> so such a small world. Break, I my I had to leave <laughs> Christmas break early to come back to Columbus to come back to Bowling Green to let them check out my shoulder. And, you know, I meet the new running back coach, and he looks just like his sister. I mean, <laughs> dead on her. And so he looks at me. He says, what's wrong with your shoulder, man? What happened? How did it happen? And he knows at this point that I know his family. And so he, I had never met him. He's, I was like, do you really want to know? He's like, yeah, I want to know. I was like, well, I was with your sister. He's like, stop me right there. Like, nah, man. <laughs> 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 you know, um, that, so, you know, fast forward, I wind up having surgery like a month, like two months later, February, I have surgery. I wind up sitting, I mean, I wind up sitting out a good portion of spring ball. My winter conditioning was horrible. Um, I went into, I left spring, you know, I left spring and because of the shoulder injury I had, <clears throat> I could only bench like 115 pounds. I couldn't put too much more, to, more weight than that on the bench. It was like 115 for three or 115 for eight that I was doing where, you know, it was before I was, you know, I was, you know, working out. And, you know, Urban pulled me into his office and he told me flat out. He said, listen, he was like, you know, you're going to sit out the rest of spring ball. You're going to sit out the spring game. He was like, what I need you to do is spend the rest of the year, rest of your summer getting healthy or you will never touch my field again. Mm -hmm. So you better come back a monster because I'm giving you this time off to get right. Mm -hmm. I want that. Cool. I wanted to ask you about Urban, just like what? How was he as a motivator? And like you know, the Monday through Friday, Urban Meyer it just seems on the outside looking in, he seems like that's kind of like his strong point of getting people motivated. You know, watching him on the TV. But for somebody with the inside scoop, I would love to hear a little bit about that. I tell you like this, man. Um, the best way I can describe Urban Meyer, um, our previous coach was an older dude um, who became more grandfatherly. You know how your grandfather just kind of gives you everything. Yeah. Um, Urban Meyer was like that uncle that held you accountable for everything and made you a better person. Yeah. And that's why he has so much success. Yeah. Because if he says it, he does it. And if he and when you do it, you have success. And that's the problem with a lot of coaches is that they'll say it, but they don't always follow through with it. And if they can't follow and if they if it doesn't work, then the kids start to rebel. And so with Urban, it was one of those things where it was like you know, you came in, like, and there were rules the moment he came in. It's like he had been preparing for this all his life. Like, Urban Meyer was to head coaching what, you know, some women are to marriage. They already know exactly what it is that they want. I need this dress. You got to get married in this mm -hmm. month, blah, 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 blah. That's what Urban Meyer was because it was like you, you couldn't tell that he was a rookie. Yeah. And so basically, like, it was one of those things where it was like, look, you go to class, you go to study table, um, you go where you, you, you be where you're supposed to be. If your schedule says you're supposed to be here, you be here. And so, you know, I mean, I think y'all, everybody's heard the, everybody's heard the rumor about the workout where he chained the doors and, yep. uh, mm -hmm. brought the trash cans out onto the practice field. And, you know, 
that's not a rumor. That's the truth. I survived it. Like, that's, <laughs> that's real. <laughs> like, and, and basically, it was one of those things where, you know, it wasn't a, there was no call every player and tell them. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't call every player and tell them. It was put on the board in the weight room, and it was like, be here by 6 a.m. or never come back. Wow. And... <laughs> You know, you got, of course, you go with a situation like that, you get 100% turnout. Right. Yeah, and, for sure, for sure. You know, he used to walk around with this notebook, and the notebook was like, um, the notebook was like, it was two sheets of paper inside of a one inch uh, three ring binder. And one of them was the class checklist, the other one was the, um, one of them was the class checklist, the other was the study table checklist. And if your name was on one of those lists, he wouldn't even speak to you. Until he asked you why you weren't where you were supposed to be. So, you know, he might be like, hey, Gibson, why weren't you in history class? And as you're stuttering and stammering, he's like, nah, that's not good enough. You know, and then he had his three rules, love and respect the university, love and respect the game of football, love and respect, um, love and respect your family. He said, if you never, if you break, if you don't break any of those rules, you'll never go wrong. And he would ask you what those rules were. And if you couldn't give him those three rules, you had to give him 10 push-ups. And so, you know, he's instilling this culture of this is the way that we do things, we do things correctly. Um, and, you're, I mean, it was, you know, honestly, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of tough lessons, a lot of tough lessons. I mean, like that morning, you know, we get to the field house, he opens up the notebook, and he says, if I call your name, you know, stand up. And so he calls off like 22 names. And, you know, I, it was exactly 22. I remember this very vividly. And he says, um, the reason we're here this morning is because I said on December 4th that if you go to study table and you go to class, we're not going to have any problems. These 22 people decided to miss study table and miss class. That's not acceptable. We're going to win the team and we're going to lose the team. So now we're going to run as a team. And when I tell you that we ran until kids that had 9 o'clock classes were late, I'm not lying to you. Wow. As a matter of fact, we ran so much that the strength and con- urban and the strength and conditioning coach got into it over the fact that urban wanted us to not run like that and then go to the weight room. And the strength and conditioning coach was like, "I can't do nothing with them. You killed them." And urban fired him and hired a new strength and conditioning coach. Damn! Wow. <laughs> and so <laughs> basically, and so basically, we really just kind of um. And so, you know, but once that happened, you know, I had the surgery. I had a horrible spring. Um, we had that conversation. And before you know it, you know, I come back in, I come back in fall. And, you know, at this point now, I'm, you know, I'm bench pressing 275 eight times. You know, I'm good. And um, I, call, I walk in, see the depth chart hanging up, and I look, and I see I'm fifth. I'm behind a couple of freshmen. Yeah, back. man. And then, um, you know, I look, I look at the rest of the depth chart, and I'm not even on any special teams. I said, all right, cool. I said, um, you know, I went to him. I said, Coach, why ain't I on the special teams? He's like, you know, I don't know your shoulder. You was just, I was like, look, you know, it's my last year. If I don't, I was like, if, I don't, if my shoulder gives out now, it's the last, <clears throat> then I'm done, period. <clears throat> Excuse me. I said, I'm done, you know, period. It's over. So next day I'm on all the special teams. And then all of a sudden, you know, because in spring they didn't get to see the real me. In the summer they got to see the real me. The guys they thought were monsters, I was treating like babies. And they're like, oh, okay. And so then, you know, we get to, you know, first game of the season, we get to Missouri. Yes, sir. And, um, 
you know, we get to Missouri, and you know, at this at this point, we're the same. You know, Gary Pinkles in his first game, he just left Toledo. His last game, he blew us out on national television. And I want everybody um, you know, to remember this. This is the year. What this is two thousand and one. Yeah. So this is the beginning of the college football that we see today with the spread offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. oh man, listen. The funny part about it is, <clears throat> I'm glad you said that. Um, hold on for just a second. <clears throat> okay. Urban, we met with Urban a couple of years ago, and this is the first time I've ever heard him say this. Um, he talks about the spread offense. He talks about the, the zone read and how he didn't know whether or not it was going to work. He didn't think it was going to work. He said he didn't know. He was like, you know, we're doing this. No one's doing it. You know, they, you know, there's only a couple of teams that are doing it in the nation. He's like, we didn't know if it was really going to work. He was like, so we kind of were just throwing it out there at a wing and a prayer to see what happened. And um, Urban, um, and so, you know, we get down here, spread offense, and, you know, we, you know, playing against Missouri, and we rocking with them. You know, come the fourth quarter, you know, we, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, first and, first and 10 on the 20, you know, two carries later, I'm in the end zone, game is tied, and, you know, it's time to really, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, yo, wait, Bowling Green really has a chance to beat Missouri, and then, you know, we literally go in there and beat Missouri. You know, beat Missouri in the last few minutes of the game, last minute of the game, so to speak. And, you know, it was like, okay, so the bloody noses, you know, the broken fingers, all the things that, you know, we went through in the wintertime, now all of a sudden it's starting to pay dividends. This is what it's supposed to feel like. And, um, you know, it was prob- that, that was probably the most memorable year of my, of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so much that went into it. Um, by the time you're finished with something like that, that's something you'll never, I, I'll never forget. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, man, like, to to hear that story, like those stories of the you know playing years and to hear the stories of you traveling back and forth to Rice State, like now my mind is like, how is it to be a student athlete and try to manage practice, class, chicks yay highways you know like you just it seems like you had no time for nothing else you know i feel like i would be if i had practice at six in the morning until class and then a full day of class the evening i'm done you know it's like just just the student athlete life i just want to hear what that's like i mean you i tell you what man you 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 first of all if you're a night owl you get it in at night (laughs) you know whatever it is that you need to do and i'm a night owl like i'm a person that you know, I'll be up till two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, my brain works best at that point at, at that time. So for me, I'll be up. But you know, you find ways to get it in, man. Like you, you know, like once the season, like the season, you kind of just you shut your life down during the season. Yeah. Like you know, there's there's very little. Like honestly, like you got to think about it. football season is concurrent with cuffing season. So you know, what I'm saying <laughs> you, kinda, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying during the season, you you kind of shut everything down. You know, and you're focused in and your time is really taken. Because, you know, I would have class, you know, the back when we practice, because we practice in the evening. Okay. So I would have class from about somewhere between 8, 9 to about 1. And then I would run over to the stadium and you pretty much watch film and get taped from 1 to 3. Um, you get out on the field about 3, 3.30. And then, you know, 3, 3.30, you practice till about 6. And then, you know what I'm saying, you come back out. And, uh, I mean, you go back, change, you change clothes, 
and go to dinner. Now, you know, some guys had night classes, so you would literally have to run to dinner and then be eating in the middle of your class. But, you know, and then you might pass out. You're right, you might pass out that night. Mm-hmm. You know, you might, you know, do a, you may do a little homework. Maybe you wouldn't. Right. You know what I'm saying? You may, you know what I'm saying? You may get on the sticks a little bit. You know what I'm saying? That's possible. <laughs> like, you know, we got on the sticks a little bit. And so, you know, do something like that. And then once that's done, you know, so, yeah, it was tough. Off-season, though, you really had a lot more time. You're, you're, you're like, your schedule, mind you, you might be dead tired from winter conditioning workouts. Right. But off-season, you had a little more time. Like, off-season, you will be, you know, like, you you rarely saw me at Wright State during the season. Like, no, actually, right. you never saw me at Wright State during the season. Okay. But, you know, by the time Christmas break hit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it started getting warm out, we can expect the, you know, spring coming around. <laughs> so, yeah, once the spring, well, you know, once, once, once spring semester started, you know, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. But, you know what I'm saying? You, so, you, I mean, you find time. I mean, honestly, these kids are not, um, these kids are not hurting for, you know, time to have fun. Yeah. I mean, honestly. You know, it becomes it becomes a thing where you learn how to manage your life, and I think that's every what everybody says. You learn how to manage your schedule, manage your life to a point where you don't have to worry about um, where where you get thing get done the things you need to get done, even if it takes you know hours to do it. Like you know, I teach now, and I was telling my kids about you know the spring break the the uh, spring bling trip that we took, Kev, hey. and um, <laughs> I was telling them how like you know basically I got an extension on a paper. So I could go spend, you know, a good weekend down at BET Spring Bling on Black Beach in Daytona. And then I came back, you know, and knocked out, you know, knocked out a 12-page paper in eight hours. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) yo, you know, from from research all the way up, you know, and it's like my kids is looking at me like, why would you lock yourself in a, in a, in a uh, computer lab for 12 hours? Because the turn up is real. (laughs) The turn up is real. So... You know, it's like you you find ways to get done the things that you need to get done. You know, these kids, like you know, I did I never heard it for for social time. Probably had too much social time every time <laughs> I look at my transcript. But um, you know, I got it in. You get you get time to get it in, man. And these kids now, um, because of the new NCAA rule where they get full cost of scholarship, they get a stipend check that you know what I'm saying has them living a heck of a lot better than what we did. I wanted to ask you about uh, you know, it was a feature on a uh, Big Ten Network about Herb. And the connection he has with you guys, because that you guys were his first team. How he was at BG for two years, right? Two years. Yeah. So you you guys being his first team, you guys went what eight and something? Eight and three. Eight and three. You guys go eight and three. Y'all basically kickstart his career. You know, with his motivation and you guys buying in. Like there was a feature on you guys, and uh, so how close knit do do the especially the seniors of that team? still stay in contact with Herb and the rest of the team and stuff like that? I'll tell you what, with Herb, man, I have a, um, you know, I have a, an open line to Urban, you know, whenever I need it. Um, I don't use it very often. Um, but frequently, you know, not, not frequently, but, you know, a few times a season, I would just go down to Ohio State and watch practice. Um, you know, and it was always, I was always greeted, you know, like family. He gave me a hug. You know, what's up with you? How you doing? Um, you know, making sure that, you know, we're good. You know, during the Ohio State game, um, I went down on the field probably with about five minutes, six minutes left in the game. And um, last year when Bowling Green played Ohio State and, you know, bumped into, you know, Robert Red from down there in Dayton, uh, mm-hmm. Super Heights Wayne, and, you know, a couple of the other guys that I played with, you know, were on the sideline at Ohio State. And, you know, I, um, 
you know, talking to them, and, you know, all of a sudden, Mrs. Meyer comes walking up, and she, you know, remembered my face, didn't quite remember my name, but she's met so many players. Um, but when I told her, she's like, oh, my God, you look, you look exactly the same. And, you know, I'm standing there, you know, having a conversation with the Shelly Meyer, and, um, you know, she's telling me about, you know, the oldest son is a junior in high school and the daughter's getting married and she's pregnant. And, you know, it's all of these different things that, you know, it's like, you know, for me it was just like, you know, bumping into, you know, some family you hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, now that we've got, now that he's got uh, Greg Fedrawa on the staff, who was our offensive line coach, and, you know, I went last time I was down there at the practice field, um, you know, I just stopped in the Woody Hayes and about 4 o'clock and knew they would be on the field. And, you know, Coach Studd sees me and he's a BG grad, so, you know, we got that connection. And, right. You know, it, it's always good. I mean, it's it's always good. You know, he's, you know, a lot of, you know, some guys talk to him, you know, on a more regular basis. I think Josh, you know, Josh had two years with him, so Josh talks to him a little more. Um, but, you know, it is, it's always one of those things where, you know, I don't, if I ever need anything from Urban Meyer, I know that I can reach out to him and, you know, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't be a problem. I mean, he, he, all, he said, you know, hey, if it weren't for you guys, we, you know, Mrs. Meyer told me this, if it weren't for you guys and the things you did, we don't know if we would be here right now. And, you know, I, they, they're very appreciative of the things that we did. But, you know, as much as they're appreciative and, you know, it, it's, shown, it's shown, I think the guys that actually got the chance to play for Urban, you know, we're appreciative of the things that he put into our lives also. Talk about how selfless you have to be as a football player because, you know, as, as your homeboy, I am strictly – obviously I'm rooting for the team, but like I said before, man, I am rooting for you more. You know what I'm saying? And and the things that you are capable of doing and, you know what I'm saying, the numbers that you're putting up and the looks that you're getting with with the transition from, you know what I'm saying, the power eye and the things that you did great as a football player to a spread offense to more, you know, splitting carries with more guys, the zone reads, so the quarterback keeps the ball a little, a little bit, you keep the ball a little bit, and it basically, you know, my selfish dream went up in smoke, but you as a person being a teammate first and being a part of a team speaks volumes about your character. But, you know, basically your dreams of being in the NFL were kind of dashed at that point. But, you know what I'm saying, it opened up a different avenue for you. Well, I think, man, it, it boils down to this, man. You know, when you work as hard as you do, and honestly, we worked harder when Urban was there. But we worked hard before. Right. There was a di- there was different emphasis emphasis that was in the team. But what winds up happening is when you're winning, man, winning cures all. Mm. You can't, you know, you you can't rock the boat when you're three and zero for the first time in your college career. Yeah. Um. And I never felt like <clears throat> I never felt like I never didn't play. You know, it wasn't a situation where I didn't play. I tell you what. I had, you know, the number of carries that I had my junior year and my senior year were comparable. It was just the fact that um, the problem was that I didn't have, um, is that, you know, I wasn't the quote-unquote starter, but, you know, it doesn't really matter who the starter is if I'm playing 60 plays in a game. Mm. You know, if I'm playing 50% of the reps in the game, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, I mean, honestly, like, I still – you know, got my chance to bop, to bang heads with Jason Babe, and I still, you know, had that had those opportunities during that senior year to rock. You know, what I mean, honestly, like I was the second or third leading rusher on the team, um, and it just it just so happens that <clears throat> you know we had you know the phenom Josh Harris, yeah, who comes out and you know does you know he's the perfect prototype for 
the quarterback that, you know, Urban wants in his offense. Wish we had him so, at Ohio State you know, right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so when you get when you have that, you know, it's like you, you, you can't even you can't <clears throat> you can't get mad at those things. And honestly, you know, I thought, oh, we're about to go to this hot this pass happy high flying offense. There's not gonna be a place for me at all. Mm. You know, and then I had talked to some of the coaches that were on the previous staff and they were still in contact with other guys and they were like, Yo, they said they don't have a place for you at all, man. Did you ever think about and, bouncing? <clears throat> huh? Did you ever think about transferring? Nah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> at this point, I'm year five, man. At this point, I never thought about transferring. It was like, you know, I mean, basically, what I knew was I had to get healthy. I mean, if I'm healthy going into that senior season, it's a lot different. If I'm healthy that spring before, it's a heck of a lot different. So, basically, you know, the moral to the story is... Leave these chicks alone and you don't mess up your shoulder. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to tell you like this. I w- yeah, the chick was the final. That was the final straw, man. My shoulder was already messed up. My shoulder was already messed up. I probably the, the, I probably should have sat out the last month of my junior season. Mm. I probably should have sat out the last month of my junior season. Um, but literally, I was doing everything I could to play because – the running backs room was a mass unit at that point, mm. you know. So we were going out there and like literally. I mean, I'm banging heads, you know, thirty, thirty-five carries, twenty-five carries, you know, every week. And I didn't know how bad my shoulder was. I thought because you know, once you get used to playing ball, you realize that look, if you're not, if you don't have a nagging injury by October, that means you don't play. Mm. You just get wow. used to it. And so yeah. you know, I was one of those guys that you know was kind of proactive, sense. you know. I used to go get I used to go get chiropractic work done, get massages, things like that. So you know, when the shoulders start hurting, for me it was just like you know what, this is a this is a bump bruise. It's gonna be cool. Come you know January, I'll be all right. Mm. And you know, it just when it didn't heal, that's what the thing was. So you know, the woman was kind of like the the final straw. That's when it was like, oh no, you're really messed up, bro. <laughs> you know, this isn't a. And so you know, basically, you kind of um, if I you know if I'm healthy going into. My my junior my senior year is different, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean it didn't. I mean at the end of the day, I'm content with the way it turned out, man. You know I had you know what I'm saying my senior season was great. Like you know from a numeric standpoint, my rushing average was higher than it ever had been. Um, you know we got more wins than ever. Um, you know we started something that you know is still going. You know 16 is struggling now, but you know we started something that's still going years later, and um, you know that and all of that in and of itself. You know, that team, I mean, we got, you know, NCAA rules, you know, screwed us out of a bowl game that mm-hmm. year. But we should have went to a bowl game. Like, yep. honestly, the comedy of errors and the way that we transitioned. And now that now everybody goes to a bowl game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody goes to a bowl game now. But, you know, I mean, literally that year we were 8-3, and three, and that was the year of 9-11. So, you know, we picked up <clears throat> we picked up Northwestern um, because a game we had against South Carolina got canceled. And mm. so um, we picked up Northwestern in November during what would have been our bye week, and we go up to Northwestern to beat Northwestern. And then at the time, Temple's in the Big East, and we had beaten, beaten the snot out of Temple. And so at this point, we're the first MAC team to go beat three Power Five teams in one season. Yeah. And so, you know, my resume was sick, but, you know, we're 8-3, and three, but we're still little bowling green, so – like I think you know they were still. I know North Texas that year went to a bowl game and they were like six and six. Ridiculous. So Damn. it's like, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? You know, it was one of those things. Right? 
Bro, so this is the main question. How does a bruising running back, Division One scholarship athlete, graduate, go from a football player to a traveling poet? <laughs> How, Sway? <laughs> man, you know, i tell you what, man. Any male poet that tells you his story of how he became a poet and they don't include the woman, they're lying to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a woman in every story. I mean, I was always a writer. Like, I couldn't tell y'all that. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't tell y'all that when we're trying to, you know, run the Exit 24 every Thursday. But, you <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> Shots <laughs> out. Know, but, That's an off-mic story. But, uh, <laughs> off-mic story all day long. But, um, you know, basically I always wrote. And so, man, one day I was, I was at work. I was working at the, um, I was working at the, um, at the welfare office and you know you know quiet has kept my work history like you know i'm very i'm very proud of you cuz cuz you actually have been in the same industry same job going on 20 years i can't keep a job for more than 24 months <laughs> <laughs> like you know i'm just not good at keeping those so you know working at the um i'm working at the uh working at the welfare office and there's this tall light skinned sister that was like fine i don't know what tall thick long hair all that and so, you know what I mean, I'm writing a poem. One day she walked into my office. You know, I was writing a poem and really pretty much, you know, plotting my exit out the welfare office. <laughs> um, and, she, and she's like, you know, and she's like, what you doing? I was like, I'm writing a poem. She's like, oh, my God, you write poetry? So do I. And she's like, I want to read some of your poetry. So I send her a poem, you know, I send her a poem. And she's like, oh, my God, this is so good. You know, you should come to this open mic I host. And I'm like, oh, okay, you host an open mic. All right. So, I mean, you know, I'm like, well, if I can spend a couple of extra hours with you <laughs> off work, then it's worth it. You know what I mean? I come to this open mic and see what we got cracking. And that's, so I go to the open mic and, you know what I'm saying, honestly, you know, she and I wind up dating and, you know, she, you know, is a little special. Um, she's a very <laughs> interesting relationship. But, you know, I wound up, start tra- I started performing. Um, and I performed, you know, I, I went from her open mic to other open mics in the city. Um, and shortly thereafter, I moved to Atlanta, and got, I got in a job in Atlanta. I moved to Atlanta, and um, you know, was still performing and hosting shows down there. Um, and then moved back to Ohio, and um, got back. You know, got jumped right back into the scene. And then, um, you know, I was working a job at a nonprofit organization, and you know, like I said, I, I can't hold one for more than twenty-four <laughs> months. And so uh, they laid me off. Um, they laid me off, and when they laid me off. I'm like, all right, cool. So this is, you know, 2008 now. Um, 2000, this is 2009 going into 2010. And I'm like at this point where it's like, okay, it's November. I got laid off. I know I got this Obama. Um, <laughs> I know I got this Obama, um, this Obama money coming in. <laughs> this, uh, you know, this unemployment money coming in because, you know, the, 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 the economy's in the toilet. So, you know, I got about $1,200, $1,500 a month coming in off of that. Um, you, you've been working on this poetry album. You know you want to travel. The question is, do you go get another job that you know you're going to hate, or do you try to take this poetry thing full-time? And um, I just jumped out there. I said I was going to do it for six months. And, you know, I went to as many places as I could in that six months, and before you know it, the money's good. I'm selling CDs. People are liking me and inviting me back. So six months turned into a year, turned into two years, turned into three years on the road doing poetry. Killer, that's much like yourself with DJ, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Betting on yourself. Exactly. Like me and O yeah. was talking about that. Me and uh Big Brother O P Z. 
was talking about how when you when you like go all in for what you are working on and what you're dreaming for, that's when it feels the best when you start having a no matter no matter the level of success. Like it just feels good to know that I did this on my own. Nobody believes I could do it. Like those type of just moments are like that's what we strive. Yeah. You know, that's what makes makes us happy. You know, makes us want to do it next week. So, oh. well, that's what makes it. That's what that's what makes us alive, man. Exactly. I mean, honestly, like you know, what I'm saying it's one thing if you can't, you know, if you got to be at you at work when you're at home, if you can't enjoy what you do, exactly, then you're gonna be miserable. I can attest to that. And, I, just, I just left the VA in in, in May. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't take hey, it no man. more. Couldn't take it no more. I understand. <laughs> I understand. I understand completely. And so. You know, it's like basically, you know, Cats is always trying to find that happiness. And, you know, for me, it, it, I mean, honestly, like there were sacrifices. You know, there mm-hmm. was a couple of relationships that was ruined. Um, you know, a couple of cars that was ruined. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, you know, I literally, you know, I was putting about, you know, 40,000, 50,000 miles a year on a car. Wow. Um, you know, shout out to the Acura. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I was never home. You know, it wasn't, you know, I definitely, I was making decent money, but I wasn't making, you know, buy a house money. Right. Um, you know, and so it just became one of those things where, you know, after a while, you know, it was something that I felt like I needed to do for my development as an artist and it grew who I was as an artist. Um, it was, it was necessary. And, you know, I, I, there was some. There are some things that I would do differently, and that's just you know hindsight. But I would still be out there. Right. You know, I would just you know do it differently. Dope, brother. Dope. Now, you know, you fast forward to now. You've always done radio work for the football team for BG, but now you're doing something else also. Yeah, I'm doing. Um, I, I you know basically I've been doing Bowling Green radio since 2003. Damn. Um, you know, I've been, I've been doing radio for the Bowling Green since 2003. Yeah. And um, it was always kind of like a side hustle. You know what I mean? It was always just a smooth side hustle. When I was traveling as a poet, it was great. You know, it was that fall you knew you had for sure money coming in. Um, but um, when the opportunity, I, a couple of, you know, basically they hit me up. Uh, well, a guy hit me up from a, a TV station called BCSN up here in Toledo. And they were like, hey, would you be interested in doing some high school football on television? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I already got to be up there during football season anyway. So I'll come up, you know, Friday night, stay in the hotel and then go down to do Bowling Green. That's not a problem. And so he's like, all right, cool. Well, um, you know, I, so I started working for BCSN last fall. And, um, you know, it was great. You know, you do a football game on Friday, do a football game on Saturday. And then you keep going back and forth Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday. And, um, you know, then they were, they, you know, they liked me. They rock with me. So they're like, yo, would you be interested in doing uh, basketball season? And I'm Damn. like, yeah. So, you know, basketball season, I, I didn't do any weekday games, but I did the weekend games. So, again, it goes back to Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, I'm doing basketball. And then um, they're like, yo, you did a great job. Um, would you be interested in doing baseball? And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, again, Friday, you know, Friday I'm going back up doing basketball or baseball games. And, um, you know, it was like it was one of those things where, you know, if it's something that you really love to do, something that you really enjoy and you really want it, you're going to you're going to make that sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. that time sacrifice, you know, that gas sacrifice. I mean, I was back to driving 3000 miles a month. Um, and so basically it came to a point where it's like, all right, so I'm not about to do another year of this back and forth. Let me see 
what's going on. So I talked to BCSN and was like, yo, you know, is, you know, is it going to be like this? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, if it's going to be like this, then I'm going to go ahead and move up. And so, you know, I've been, so I do the television work for BCSN. I still work for Bowling Green. Um, you know, I, I work at a K through eight school also, you know, dealing with the kids. And, Three checks. You know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> you paycheck. Hey, you know, I mean, honestly, you never know, man. Like, you know, I, I honestly, I got envious of your, of your shoe collection. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I'm like, you know what? I mean, honestly, I think that's the one thing that, you know, I, I, I was on the road for about, I was on the road off and on for about seven years, um, as a poet. And, um, you know, you love it. You know, you love it. You meet people. You know, I tell people all the time, like, I, you know, I got close to women that I had no business getting close to, um, you know, because I was a poet, because I was good with words. Another but, story you know, for off-mic. <laughs> another off-mic story, you know, other off-mic stories. But um, there was, you know, there was also, you know, but then you, there's certain things that you do miss. And, um, you know, one of the things was just being able to shop. You know what I mean? Just being able to shop because, you know, you can't, you can't, spend money on clothes when you're like, yo, I don't know if there's going to be the 300 people at this show that they say there's going to be, and I don't know if those people are going to really rock with me, you know, because I done had some shows that have, you know, that were supposed to be dope shows tanked because of all crazy reasons. So, you know, you become a little more guarded with your money. So it's like, all right, well, since I'm here, let me, you know, say, let me go ahead and supplement the income and, you know, do something that, you know, is enjoyable. You know, so I do all of that, and, and you know, and, and I got a pair of Air Jordan 7s in the mail coming tomorrow. Hey, <laughs> got to keep your foot game right, man. But you go from playing at Bowling Green now to living in Toledo, their biggest rival, man. So how does it feel living in the quote-unquote glass city? I tell you what, man, it's weird because, you know, in all the years since I've left Bowling Green, I was never in a – area where Bowling Green had a huge influence. Like in Columbus, you see a couple of Bowling Green grads and maybe have a conversation. Beep, beep. And I have to fight. <laughs> in Toledo, you know, there is, it's a lot of it is split between Bowling Green and Toledo. You know what I mean? It's a lot of, you see a lot of Bowling Green sweatshirts, you see a lot of Toledo sweatshirts. And so, you know, I have to fight the urge to get excited every time I see a Bowling Green a t-shirt <laughs> or something because I forget that I'm in Toledo. Like, you know what I mean? I'm 20 minutes away. And so that part has been real weird, man. Um, you know, it, it's you know, I, I don't really, you know, I still don't go up on Bancroft too often. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I stay down on Wooster. That's that's kind of my stomping ground. But um, you know, it's weird being back in this region. I never thought that I would live in this region of the state again, um, just because it's, you know it, it was you know that was that time frame. That was you know that was that time of the year. And you know, here I am, like you know, going back. Like last week, I went back to the stadium on Monday and ran the steps. Like an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see you back to training, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I mean, they say TV. I don't got 10 pounds to get a TV, man. You know, TV adds 10 pounds. I don't got that 10 pounds to give. So, you know, I figure if I lose 10 pounds, I'll look like regular me on TV. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, bro, what's yeah, the buddy. end goal? What's the end goal, man? You you trying to be rocking with Stephen A and, and Skip Bayless? Or what's what's the end goal, brother? I definitely, man. I, I definitely ESPN is definitely you know on the it's it's, it's on the agenda, man. I've, I've had some conversations with some very high people. I don't want to speak on it right now, but I've had some conversations with some very high people getting the ball rolling. Um, these ES like ESPN plays a lot of Mac games, whether it be on ESPN U, ESPN three sixty, or you know the ESPN two the Maxion games. Yeah. And, um, you know, I definitely would love to do some of those games. Um, you know, would love the opportunity to really kind of move into radio and sports entertainment, television more. 
you know, the Stephen A. Smith role, I think, you know, honestly, you know, I'm a very entertaining dude, you know, being, you know, having spent, you know, the five years out performing poetry, you, you really get comfortable on stage, you get comfortable being an entertainer. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a guy that, you know, if you told me, hey, entertain these group of people for, for an hour, I can do that, you know, at the drop of a hat, you know, whether and it's going to be a mix of comedy and real talk and, and then poetry, too. Um, or, you know, if you say, hey, entertain, you know, the Toledo metro area or wherever, you know, with sports talk, I can find a way to get that done, too. So, I mean, honestly, like sports talk, you know, whether it's television, radio, entertainment is definitely something. That's the next step, man, because, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I'm, I've come to the point where, you know, I say I've never done anything for more than two years. However, I was a poet for set. I've been a poet for the last 12, and I've, uh, you know, and I've been announced at Bowling Green Football since 03. So the question becomes, you know, you got to do what you love. Yeah, and yeah, man. And, and you're you mixing you those. Love. You're mixing the poetry and the football because uh, – the uh, I reposted it on, on my gram, man. You kicked a little poetry for the uh, high school football too, man. How'd you uh, how'd you how'd you smooth talk your way into letting them <laughs> let you do your thing? <laughs> man, I tell you what, what wound up happening was um, it was kind of like a, I it it was kind of a um, how do I say it? It was a um, it kind of just happened. Um, you know, I got to talking about one day sitting there sitting around with the crew, um before a baseball game and I'm talking to the guys about me being, you know, a poet and having the national poetry award for poetry album of the year. And they're like, yo, I'd like to listen to that. And so I shot it to one of the guys, you know, he was a musician. He's also one of our cameramen. And he's like, yo, this is dope. And so before I knew it, like I was getting like emails and text messages from people like, yo, can I get that album? Can I get a copy? Can I get a copy? So I shot it, shot the copy, shot shot the album to a few people and, um, you know, then they start looking me up on YouTube. And when they follow me on YouTube, they're like, yo, I saw this video that you had and that video that you had and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know. And, and so basically, eventually word gets to the boss. Mm. And the boss is like, well, would you be able to write a poem, you know, to use in a commercial? And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. That's not a problem at all. And he's like, okay, well, let's do that. So we go out to this, you know, we go out to like, southern michigan to this to the country um and we we announced this uh or we do, we shoot this commercial at, at dawn at, you know at twilight you know at, towards the end, of the end of the day and um the tv the commercial has been running here in toledo you know ever since and then they're like well um do you think you could write a poem every week you know and i was like well yeah and so leading into they do like a red zone an nfl red zone style show here for high school football every week and, you know, basically there's about five or six games that they're really the five or six hot games they take a peek at and they go, you know, place to place. And then they've got the game analyst, at the, the play-by-play guy and the game analyst are at the game and they'll do a live look in. And, you know, so my, my poem, I write a poem every week about whatever the game of the week is. And I will sit down and I'll write that poem and I'll record it um, going into that week or going into that week. You know, every Wednesday night I'll get in, I'll record it and I'll come back out. And then, you know, Friday night I'll be at the game. So, you know, that's kind of how it wound up happening. And, you know, so I'm, I'm actually trying to figure out words that ride with seven because it's week seven of the high school football season <laughs> right now. So, it goes fast. It goes fast. Yeah. Well, bro, we definitely appreciate you stopping on the pod, man. Give us uh, – this is like the quick version of the JG story, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely, man. I, anytime you guys need me, man, I, I would love to come check y'all out, man. Anytime you need me, no problem. For sure. JG, how can people stay in contact with you before you go, man? Like, if they need you to come down, kick some poetry, you know what I'm saying? Come speak to the youth, need a substitute teacher, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know you anything do it all. Anything you need. You know, anything you need. You need me. To, I, I got barbecue sauce I'm selling. Whatever it is that you need, I got you. Um, the best way is, you know what I'm saying, IG, Instagram, um, and Twitter is Blame JG. Um, Blame JG, those are the three places, uh, those three places, uh, Snapchat for that matter. You know, um, all three is Blame JG, that's the brand. You know, you, you got to find me, it's my fault, I did it. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> if, you messed it, if it got messed up, I did it. Um, so blame me. But um, that's the best place to find me, man. Social media is, you know, bringing the world closer together um, and getting people fired from their jobs all at the same time. <laughs> like, just breaking up all of that. So... <laughs> You know, blame JG. Um, you know, then my, you know, and that actually all of, all of the social media platforms you can find me at blame JG. And you know, I mean, honestly, I try to be you know as compelling as possible um, on all of my social media formats. Hey, bro, we appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Nice to meet you, brother. I just followed you, brother. So nice. I'm about to. I'm about to, I'm about it, to ride this wave here and see what's going on in JG's world. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, man, bro. I see, I see, I see y'all after football season, man. Yes, That's sir. what's up. We'll holler. For sure. Yes, sir. Appreciate the homie JG coming on, man. We're going to wrap things up right here. 75 episodes. You can't make this up podcast. Kev Nash. DJ Killer Kev. Shout out to DeMarco. Shout out to Izzy. Yes, sir. We out till next week. Peace.